0: And there's a lot of Arabic and Swahili, so the Swahili language is really just an embodiment of history and empire and colonialism and trade and um, and I felt such a love for it and I love that song and it, it really did for me embody my experience with JLI at that time and, and the issues we were focusing on and cared about very deeply as well.
1: This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. Well, good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And, you know, this is a special one. Um, I think the third with a focus on JLI. Um, Delighted with today's guest who actually works for JLI. So, Sadia, please introduce yourself.
0: Hi, good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. Uh, my name is Sadia Kidwai. I'm the Fair and Equitable Coordinator at JLI. I've been with J- with JLI for a number of years and very excited to come on the podcast today and talk about our work.
1: Okay. Yeah. And b- before I ask you what you did before uh, you came to JLI to explain, you know, what the Fair and Equitable actually means. Um, do you still remember the first time that you heard about JLI?
0: You know, I think I do. It was back in maybe 2014 or 2015. Um, Mm -hmm. So very early in JLI's journey, JLI was only established in 2012. So this was two, three years into JLI's existence. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was one of the very early hubs called the Resilience Hub. And that hub looked generally at the way faith communities and and faith and religion in general um, could build the resilience of local communities. And so I was a member of that hub back when I was um, a policy and research analyst at Islamic Relief Worldwide. And so I was working a lot on looking at faith values and how they apply to development challenges and, and the contributions faith communities can make to supporting development and humanitarian work. So it was very much in line with what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's where my JLI journey started.
1: Wow. Well, and, and so you worked for Islamic Relief before. That's, mm-hmm. you know, one of the organizations that's part of JLI. So, so why did you decide to, to switch, you know, to start working for JLI? How did that happen?
0: Yeah, so I worked for Islamic Relief um, until 2019, mm-hmm. um, at which point I had moved to Kenya. Um, our family had relocated to Kenya, Nairobi, yeah. and I was looking for a new challenge. And this was, it was not long after that, that JLI was starting to build its work in regional hubs. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for people who could support JLI's regional work. So that's where I came in and became involved with JLI as the Fair and Equitable Coordinator. And previously at JLI, I had, you know, co-founded the Refugee Hub and I was co-chair of that hub. So I'd I'd been very involved with JLI in in a previous capacity. Mm -hmm. And so for me, this was really a continuation of the work that we'd been doing before, but it gave me the opportunity to go beyond Islamic Relief's engagement with JLI and start engaging with all of JLI's members um, in different regions around the world, which was a very exciting opportunity and challenge.
1: Okay, and and tell us a bit about tell the audience a bit about uh, what did you do before? You know, mm-hmm. you worked for uh, JLI, but what is your background and and um, where did you grow up? I mean, we heard you moved to to Kenya. Are you living in the US now, so yeah. yeah, tell us a bit about it.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, where do I start? <laughs> I was I'm. <laughs> I'm British originally. So okay. I was born in the UK. I was born in a city called Cardiff, which is the capital of Wales. Mm-hmm. If anyone's ever heard of that, our flag has a dragon on it, which I think makes it the coolest flag in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where I grew up. And I, I grew up in a very kind of active Muslim community. And I was very privileged to grow up in a very active, dynamic community where we were always looking at how we could engage um, in interfaith work, and in civic engagement work. Um, and... My family's from Pakistan originally, so okay. I, I, that's the background I come from. Um, I studied in London, and, and it was in London that I, I became involved in my work in violence, conflict, and development. That was my master's at SOAS. Mm-hmm. And, and through that, I then um, began working for a small agency in London called Made in Europe. And Made in Europe focused on engaging young Muslims across Europe in development campaigning work. Previously, I think what we'd seen in the Muslim community was a huge engagement of young people in fundraising and charitable work, but in advocacy and campaigning, I think there was a real lack of engagement, partly due to confidence, partly due to just not being aware of how to engage, um, particularly on on global development issues and creating long-term sustainable development change. And so that was my role at Made in Europe. We used to do campaigns training with young people around Europe. We used to do workshops um, with diaspora communities on issues like climate change, on issues like fair trade, on issues like maternal health. And it was small, but very dynamic and impactful, the work that we did, and really exciting um, being in a space like that, which had a very startup mentality. And from there, that's when I moved on to Islamic Relief worldwide in Birmingham, so really going from kind of the local young people campaigning work to, mm-hmm. to the global policy humanitarian work um, and at Islamic Relief. I, I worked on a number of areas, um, but perhaps my biggest portfolio was refugees and forced migration. So right. I led Islamic Relief's research and, and thinking work on refugees and forced migration and particularly looking at how we could leverage and draw on Islamic traditions um, and Islamic teachings relating to the treatment of migrants and how that could and should inform the way we build programmatic work towards refugees and migrants and how we advocate for the right of refugees and migrants. And then from there, I found my route to JLI. It was through the refugee hub that I started mm-hmm. building connections at JLI and, and came to work at JLI just four years ago.
1: Okay. And, and what attracted you most you know, about JLI? Why did you? Because in in if I uh, listen to you carefully, so I'm very active um, as, as a young Muslim uh, woman around a number of topics, and now you go to JLI, which is very intentional about religion, interreligious, mm-hmm. um, yeah, a- evidence. Yeah, tell us about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. There's something. There are a few things about JLI that mm-hmm. particularly drew me to it. Um, firstly, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm conscious that over the last 10 years in particular, there's been a huge surge in interest in religions and development. And we've seen this, you've seen this, I've seen this, this kind of plethora of organizations now and initiatives that are dedicated to religions and development and convening conversations around religions and development, which is wonderful. I think what makes JLI very special though, and what attracted me to JLI is its particular focus on evidence. And I don't think there are many organizations which have that. Um, Really looking at making sure that our conversations around religions and development are evidence rooted, um, taking an active role in creating the evidence and identifying the evidence gaps. The other thing that I find really fascinating and special about JLI is its interdisciplinary nature. And we're not just engaging um, faith leaders to engage in interfaith conversations. We're not just engaging Humanitarian practitioners, and we're not just engaging academics, but we're bringing all those different disciplines together to create research and conversations, which I think are much richer, but mm-hmm. also much more impactful for change. And the the final thing I would say is that, I mean, as I've talked about my experience with Made in Europe and even Islamic Relief, I love being at the front line of change, and I love mm-hmm. being in transformative spaces. And I think JLI is a transformative space. Um, I particularly love working in environments where I can build relationships with people and with different types of people. And that's something that I've especially loved about my role at JLI is the ability to start your day with conversations with colleagues in Nairobi, talking about peace building and governance, then conversations Mm -hmm. in Malawi, talking about gender-based violence, then conversations with colleagues in Thailand, talking about anti-human trafficking. And it really varies like that, Um, but just really fascinating to hear the insights of our partners working in local communities all around the world. Okay.
1: And and you are responsible for the fair and equitable initiative. What is that exactly about?
0: So the fair and equitable initiative um, began as a process around three years ago. So, hmm. uh, well, I suppose you could say the roots were much longer than that. But let me start three years ago for the sake of time. Um, so back around twenty twenty, um, when the murder of George Floyd happened in the U.S., and as you know, there was this global move towards conversations around black lives matter and racial justice Mm -hmm. um and and particularly looking at colonialism and decolonization and what that meant across society and i think it was probably the first time that we had a reckoning in all sectors um or tried to have a reckoning at least um the humanitarian and development sector and and the academic sector were not uh, immune to those conversations and and jli being kind of at the nexus of a few of those spaces, also had to then engage in a process of self-reflection, looking at what was our role in maintaining or challenging power dynamics in global maintaining or challenging global power dynamics and racial justices or injustices. We had a process of reflection which really made us think about the way our global hubs, um, which we can talk about later, our global hubs, our knowledge partnerships and our research maybe did inadvertently recreate some of the power dynamics that really we actually wanted to challenge and should be challenging. Um, the nature of our global hubs meant that we relied a lot on voluntary participation, we relied a lot on members bringing resources to the table. And inevitably, that means that your hubs and your, and your networks become dominated by members who have resources and who have privilege and who have access to, to funding and things like that and and weren't then as inclusive as they should have been for local faith actors, local communities, local members, new researchers and young researchers. And, you know, JLI stands for the Joint Learning Initiative for Faith and Local Communities. Our raison d'etre is local communities, and that's what our focus should be. And so we went through a process where we reflected on actually how can we change that? And how can we make sure that JLI is a space that works for local communities and is accessible for local communities and can be led by local communities? So the Fair and Equitable Initiative, um, which now we call the Fair and Equitable Approach is really our attempt to shift the power within JLI and address some of those imbalances that we had in the past. Um, Looking at how we can shift resources within JLI Towards local faith actors, towards some of our smaller members in different regions, not just in the US and Europe. Um, and practically what that has meant is that you know where in the past we focused a lot on global hubs, um, now we're focusing more on creating regional hubs. And so regional hubs are similar to our global hubs. you know, they're interdisciplinary learning spaces. It's policymakers, practitioners, academics, faith actors. But this time they're focused on a particular region and and we try as much as possible to maintain them as protected spaces for local faith actors in that region and, and local researchers and local practitioners in that region. So we've been working to create regional hubs in different spaces and different regions with partners in those regions. So we're not just going in and deciding what should be done, but we identify partners, we talk to them about what they feel the needs are in that region. We work with them to create a plan for what a hub might look like. And we do extensive consultations with stakeholders in that region. And really, we're just there to support and facilitate, but it's led by our partners in the region. So now we have hubs in East Africa, in Syria, in the Middle East, in uh, Southeast Asia, and now Southern Africa as well. And a lot of the fair and equitable approach as well is also about reforming the way we work within JLI and across JLI, not just in terms of our regional hubs. But looking at how we can improve our communications work to make it more fair and equitable, how we can improve our research work to make it more fair and equitable as well—it's an ongoing process. Um, uh, we aren't looking to create miracles, but we are looking to be responsible for the small changes that we can make each and every day in our work.
1: Wow, that—that's. That's a lot to think about, um, Saria. Let let me. You know, we we are talking. You know, twenty twenty four just started. Um, when when you look back at twenty twenty three, what are you most proud of? You know, in terms of your work.
0: I mean, a number of things, and I don't think there's one thing I could put my finger on. Mm-hmm. But I suppose one. What I could say to that is, seeing how the hubs that we have, we first started to work on in 2020. I'm seeing how they're really coming to bear fruit now. You know, when Mm. we look at our work with our partners, we're not looking for quick interactions where we come in and get out, we're looking to build long-term relationships and create long-term sustainable change. And when we first began setting up the regional hubs in 2020 and 2021, um, we knew it would be a long process and we knew it would be time before we started to see some of the results. And it it can be scary, I think, engage, you know, working on change um, and doing something new that you haven't done before and, and never really being sure how it might work out. But I think what I'm extremely proud of in 2023 is seeing some of the fruits of the labours of our hub members um, from the regional hubs. We have the East Africa hub and the Syria hub completing their First research reports, um, one of which the Syria Hub has already published one of their reports this year, and further reports will be coming out early. or well, sorry, I should say last year now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And reports from the East Africa Hub and further reports from the Syria Hub will be coming out in 2024. Now, um, I'm incredibly proud of seeing the work of the Southern Africa Hub, which is going to be focused on gender based violence. So that was a new hub we started working on mm-hmm. this year. They conducted a series of six listening dialogues. Um, Which are basically consultation workshops with um, religious policymakers, GBV practitioners, but also survivors of GBV in Malawi and Zambia. And just Mm -hmm. had the most wonderful feedback from the participants about the need for spaces like this, the spaces that JLI is looking to facilitate, spaces where people can focus on evidence and research that actually meets their needs and addresses the gaps in their communities. I think it really reiterates the importance of what we're doing, which can be hard sometimes when you're mm. working in a research organization and everyone's remote and we're all in our houses <laughs> and isolated from each other. It's, it's really affirming to hear how impactful the work we're doing actually is with local communities. So it's not one thing, but I think a series of things that I'm immensely proud of, mm. of our work in JLI and the credit all goes to our members and partners who are leading the hubs and leading the work.
1: Hey and no, this, so that's exciting to to look forward to and, and well, to find as well. Some of those um, reports and, and and blogs can be found on the website as well, right? Um, but you you talked about the change in name of mm-hmm. you know from from fair and equitable initiative to approach. Yeah, why is that? What's the difference?
0: I mean, it's a very minor semantic difference. I'm mm-hmm. in another life. I'm a writer, so I really pay attention to words. Okay. And when the Fair and Equitable Initiative was first set up, it was kind of seen as a distinct, almost a pilot project within mm. JLI. Um, we were, the scope of the initiative was to focus on the regional hubs and convening some webinars so that we could have discussions about what does it mean to be fair and equitable? What do we mean by localization and decolonization, et cetera? So it was a very specific scope. As we've gone through the process of, you know, trying to create this fair and equitable approach to our work in JLI, we've recognized that it can't just be an initiative that remains one strand within JLI, but it has to be an approach that cuts across JLI. Mm. And that's what we've really been trying to shift towards over the past two years. So it's not just about the regional hubs, although the regional hubs are a really important component in our work, but it's about looking at how do we create research across JLI? Is that research working for the communities who it's supposed to work for? Who can access that research? And what are the barriers to accessing that research? It's about looking at our communications and wondering how is our communications accessible? What languages are we making our work accessible in? Who can access the time zones that we're hosting our events in? Um, and, and, and right down to, you know, looking at, you know, how we recruit consultants and staff and, and making sure that we're representative of the different regions we work in. Um, and, and supporting people equitably across across the organization. So it's really been a process of of constant inward looking, but outward change. Um, and that's something I've particularly been working on as well this year. And, and to go back to your other question, also something I'm very mm-hmm. proud of this year, we've been looking to create a set of guidelines for JLI on how we can be more fair and equitable. And that's something we're finalizing now and hoping to share in in the coming year, 2024. And that will be something that we would like to make public as well so that others Mm. can look at that and reflect on it, learn from it, Um, but also feedback on it as well. So we can always look at how we can improve. Um, But these guidelines look at how we can make JLI more fair and equitable across the board in our partnerships and our research and our communications, um, but also just in our internal culture as well as an organization. And the hope is that that will create sustainable change for JLI, so that this isn't just an initiative, it's not just a project that lasts two, three years, and then it's done, but that this is a process of transformation for the organization and for the network as well.
1: So if, you know, um, if I listen to you carefully, so, um, you know, this, this approach then, there are a lot of debates going on around it, you know, what is actually necessary, you know, how do you keep a balance? um where do you see these debates uh, going in the next five to ten years or where do you hope Mm -hmm. i heard you say you use the word transformation what does that mean Mm -hmm.
0: i think it's an excellent question and i i it's one i reflect on a lot as well Hmm. um i'm also cognizant of my positionality uh you know i'm I'm of Pakistani heritage. I'm Muslim, but I'm also British and I'm living in America at the moment. So I I come with my own privilege and baggage and perspective. And I think one thing that's been interesting about this debate, when we talk about things like localization and decolonization, is actually when we listened to to our members in different parts of the world, Mm -hmm. those words have such loaded meanings and such different meanings in different parts of the world. And I think it's important that when we think about this debate, that it's a debate that is led by the people who have historically been excluded or marginalised. Um, I think there's a danger that we impose our idea of what we think decolonization looks like as privileged people sitting in the US or the UK, um, instead of letting the conversation be led by people who have historically been marginalised by wealthier countries and wealthier organisations. What I would hope to see is a shift in our sectors. I say sectors meaning both the humanitarian development sector, but also the academic sector that JLI works between and across, um, where we consciously seek to transform and address some of those power imbalances, where the perspectives and the agendas and the priorities of local communities, um, of marginalized communities, is given equal, if not greater weight um, than those who have dominated the conversation so far. Um, I say hope because uh, I know practically the reality of the localization agenda has been patchy. Um, I know many major donors um, and major institutions have committed in theory to the idea of localization, but in practice are struggling to make those changes. And I think that's partly because This level of change where you're shifting power, I think, can be quite scary for people, Um, but it does require courage and it is essential. So my hope is that in the next five to 10 years, we do see the fruits of some of those efforts, um, that there is meaningful transformation in shifting power and shifting resources and shifting leadership, um, particularly around decision making and and who gets to lead the evidence agenda and and the debates and, and who gets to determine the priorities in religions and development research,
1: both are aware that this organization is having, you know, several challenges, and one of the challenges is financial challenges in, mm-hmm. in, you know, trying to to find the resources so that the work that needs to be done can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how how do you see that? Because you know um the the fact is that you you were uh, alluding to you know you the US and the and the UK and, and people in the west they have more resources mm-hmm. so um yeah what what does, what are the the implications you know in terms of an organization like Jline trying to do this work and, yeah you know also being more sustainable in terms of you know the ability to to do the work that needs to be done.
0: Yeah. Maurice, if I had an answer to that, then I don't know if we would be in the situation we're in at JLI. (laughs) It's not an easy question, but it's it's an important one. And I think the point you raised specifically about, you know, we have our ideals of wanting to shift decision-making to different parts of the world, but the reality is that a lot of the resources are still concentrated in places in, like North America and Europe, and then and in the institutions that, and governments that are based in those regions. And so how do we bridge that gap between resources versus where decision-making should be spread more equitably? And I think it comes down to the commitments that people make and the values that people hold. I think it's important that we maintain a historical perspective of how resources became concentrated. Um, and actually, whose resources are they, um, and and who therefore has the right to access them? And um, that's probably a whole other debate, which I don't think we have time for in this podcast <laughs> talking about restitution. Um, but I'm I do feel heartened to know that in the JLI network, we do have partners based in in the global north, in historically privileged um, places and institutions, where they do have a genuine commitment to wanting to use their resources to shift that balance. Um, we've had members based in the US, based in the UK, who have meaningfully you know, shifted their resources to support JLI's work in different regions, making sure that we're able to uplift and support um, and engage our faith actor members, our smaller members, our local members in different regions to lead their own research work. So I think that's really important. I think JLI's role has always been one of a facilitator. We are not trying to be a major organisation ourselves, but we're trying to be a hub that connects many different parts of the wheel, um, and that's always going to be an essential role, I think, for for others because they benefit from it too. You know, academics who we work with benefit from being connected to practitioners, and practitioners benefit from being connected to local faith communities, and the wheel turns on. We have that role to play in in connecting these different organisations. So I think. I think that role will always be necessary, especially as we move towards a a more complex world. As we're seeing, um, that role to facilitate different groups and to bridge gaps between different groups will always be essential. So, uh, what the practical implications are of that, and how we how we manage that change is is always going to be a challenge. But I think it's one that um, is not beyond us. Um, you know, maintaining those relationships, um, constantly trying to prove and, and help people understand the power of those relationships and, and the importance of these networks. Um, but also encouraging people to commit to their to their values of shifting power is is an ongoing process that we hope to keep to keep engaging with.
1: Mm. Uh, th- you know, thanks, thanks for that uh, Asaria. Hey I would like to to go back to something that you said in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um what attracted uh, you to JLI is also um, the desire for uh, JLI to to look at evidence. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the flagship of, of this organization is maybe the publication around the status of the evidence that um, was published now a year ago, or maybe it's a little bit longer now. Um, so i would like to hear from you what do you know about this uh, state of the evidence what do you think are the the glows you know so what are the things that are well done uh, around the publication and where are the you know are the grows? So what i mean with that you know where where should we work on what could go better the next what could be done better the next time and then the last part if you can touch upon that and how is that then related with the fair and equitable approach
0: mm-hmm. yeah so the state of the evidence the first edition of the state of the evidence was mm-hmm. published in 2022 mm-hmm. um, which for me means last year but I know in reality was now two years ago um, yeah. we're adjusting slowly to to the new year <laughs> um so the state of the evidence as you said is Jli's flagship report it was really building on what had been ten years of Jli creating um scoping studies and, and collating evidence on different issues um, within the field of religions and development. So over the last 10 years, we've convened hubs and conducted kind of these scoping reports looking at evidence on gender and religion. Yes, yeah, sorry. Hey, Kia, can you
1: explain for the listeners who are not familiar with these terminologies, what is a scoping study?
0: Right. So a scoping study is basically a a literature review. It's something that maps out the the state of the evidence Mm -hmm. on a particular issue. So when JLI has in the past convened global hubs on particular Mm -hmm. issues, for example, we did a global hub on refugees and forced migration. We've had global hubs on HIV and maternal health, global hubs on um, peace and conflict. So each of those hubs will often start off by conducting a scoping study. So that's a mapping of the existing evidence on that particular issue and by mapping the evidence they can then identify what are the evidence gaps and so therefore what is the research that this hub needs to engage in to meet those gaps. So JLI has done a number of these scoping studies over the years and I think especially in the last 10 years we've seen this huge kind of burgeoning of evidence on religions and development. to the point that it, it's almost a, a very difficult field to navigate now because there's so many pieces of evidence to engage with, it's hard to know where to start for someone who's new to the field. So the state of the evidence was really an attempt to, to, to meet that need, um, to give people an introduction to the evidence on religions and development. Um, the report has a number of chapters, so one on gender, one on conflict, one on environment, um, that collates the evidence on these issues, but it's, it, the idea is to kind of be an initial starting point for someone who's new to religions and development to, to get a sense of what the, 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 the growth in the evidence has been, what the changes in the evidence and the debates have been, and where they can then jump off from to engage in further research um, or learning themselves. Um, it's supposed to be digestible, so people can take you know an individual chapter if they want, or they can read it in its entirety. And the idea is that this is something that we will keep doing every few years at JLI. We will produce a new state of the evidence that might update the evidence or take um, a look at different issues. Um, For example, looking at, you know, indigenous approaches to development um, could be a topic for the next state of the evidence. Looking at mental health and psychosocial support and, and the role of faith in that is a topic we're considering for the next state of the evidence. So it's something that will constantly be an evolving um, project. We will always have new states of the evidence to to bring people up to speed. But it's the idea is to be a one stop shop um, for people who are new to to religions and development research in terms of the glows and the grows. I think the glow is doing the monumental task of bringing together all that disparate evidence to create a cohesive narrative. And a cohesive starting point. I don't think that was an easy task, but it's been done beautifully in this report. And I would encourage everyone to take a look at it, to at least read the introduction. If you don't have a chance to mm-hmm. read the whole report, for the grows, um, this is something that I've we've discussed internally within mm-hmm. JLI, and it's been identified by Dr. Olivia Wilkinson, who led the state of the evidence. So I, I wanted to clarify that for the listeners that <laughs> this is not me complaining about my colleagues. This is uh, a grow we've identified collectively. Mm-hmm. That through the process of creating the state of the evidence, one thing Olivia noted was how much of the evidence was dominated by researchers and academics based in historically privileged environments and institutions. So, the US, North America, or Europe. Mm -hmm. And how little of the evidence was actually being created by people who lived in the communities that were being written about and, and researchers and academics based in those communities. Um, You know, the scope of the evidence is global. People are researching about religions and development all over the world, but the researchers themselves that are being published are not global um, or not global enough, really, and not rooted enough in the communities that we're looking to write about and and share evidence about. And so that's been an area of growth for us that we want to um, look to address within JLI. Now, the scope of the state of the evidence is really just to collate the existing evidence. It's not to create new research. But through the JLI's other activities, we are working to address that gap that we identified through the state of the evidence. Hmm. So, for example, working with our regional hubs to create new research and publish new research that can then inform the next edition of the state of the evidence. So making sure that future editions of the state of the evidence have a pool of research that is locally produced um, and locally led that that can draw on to make sure that the state of the evidence is is reflective of local communities' priorities and research needs as well. Hmm. And the final question you asked was about how this links to the Fair and Equitable Initiative or the Fair and Equitable approach. And I think it's exactly that. The role of the Fair and Equitable approach or part of the role of this approach is to support our regional hubs and is to support our local faith actor members around the world to lead their own research. Um, So one thing we do at JLI is a research capacity sharing program where we Mm -hmm. partner with our um, practitioner members, our smaller members who don't have research, the capacity to do research because they don't have the resources um, or the experience. And so we work with them to build their research capacity um, and to support them as they create their own research and their own evidence, which can then be published and shared and and used to inform policy and practice in their regions but also globally and so i think that covers those questions you had but i if there's anything more you um, wanted to know on that no it was
1: it was great <laughs> yeah. and 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 really informative and and um yeah I'm, I'm i'm excited to to hear in terms of you know the 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 upcoming um state of the evidence report you know we'll do um, well that, that initiatives are there and and um, to improve the report further so that's that's uh, you know so it's continuous learning right and that's what mm-hmm. jli is about so mm-hmm. um yeah aw- awesome and, and excited about it um yeah i i have a couple of of uh, lighter questions for you yeah. um although some of my guests always say well those are the most the difficult ones <laughs> so um if, if i asked you to come up with a song or a piece of music that represent jli mm. which song or piece of music would that be
0: um so that is a hard question and i know you told me you would be asking this and i think i spent the morning going through my spotify <laughs> playlist wondering what could possibly embody yeah. an organization like jli Um, I don't know if I have one song that represents JLI, but I think I could probably share with you a song that reflects my experience of Mm -hmm. JLI and my journey in JLI. Um, So I started working for JLI in 2020 when I was living in Kenya in Nairobi, um, which is a wonderful place and I love and feels like home and I'm longing to go back. but i when i work i i often listen to music when i'm working because i think when you're reading and you're researching it's it's important to keep one side of your brain engaged so the mm-hmm. other side can focus on on the work and and i listen to a lot of music and i used to listen to a lot of kenyan music and um, so one band i listen to a lot is a very famous kenyan band called sauti sol i don't know if you've ever heard of them no um but they had a song that was very popular at the time called Tujiangalie, which is Swahili and it means let's look at ourselves or let's examine ourselves and the song is all about you know the, the social and the political challenges facing Kenya at the time um, issues around corruption and governance um, but really the personal responsibility of citizens to, to, to reform their country and to reform themselves and to hold each other accountable and hold themselves accountable and, and what's interesting is throughout the song there's a lot of references to the church as well and, and religion and and that kind of interplay between, you know, religion and faith and governance mm-hmm. and the self. Um, and I, I always loved that song. I mean, it's just a great song to listen to just for the beat and the melody and everything, mm-hmm. but I, I love the messaging of it. And it was so relevant to the work we were doing in JLI because we were actually setting up an East Africa hub mm-hmm. that specifically looked at, governance peace building and local faith actors so those were very much the issues that we were looking at when i was living in kenya and working with our partners tapco who are based in east africa and who set up the east africa hub um, those were the conversations mm. we were having and and i love the swahili language as well because it 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 taps into my roots as well my family's pakistani and we speak urdu and there's a lot of arabic in urdu and there's a lot of arabic and swahili so the swahili language is really just an embodiment of history and empire and colonialism and trade and um and i felt such a love for it and i love that song and it, it really did for me embody my experience with jli at that time and, and the issues we were focusing on and cared about very deeply as well
1: great and again for the listeners salty soul that's what you said
0: salty soul yeah so it's s-a-u-t-i uh, okay. s-o-l so it's the sound of the soul i think okay yeah and the, and the title of the song tuji angelier okay um i can send you a link or i can spell that out as well if you like
1: that will be good because then the the listeners can
0: yeah tuji angelier so it's uh, t-u-j-i-a-n-g-a-l-i-e okay tuji angelier
1: okay and and uh, people should be able to find it on on spotify it's or on
0: spotify it's on okay. youtube yeah Okay. It's a great Thanks. song, Thanks. half in Swahili, so it's good to keep yeah. your Google translate on awesome, hey,
1: and um, yeah, continuing on the on the lighter side if you if I ask you to come up with an anecdote or an experience that best describes uh, your time with j l i so far, and I you know partly you you did that by uh, explaining the context of the song, but let let us go to your time, maybe then. Uh, when you worked for JLI from the US side. So Mm -hmm. uh, any anecdote?
0: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, for those who aren't aware, JLI is a fully Mm -hmm. remote organization. We don't have an office. Um, We don't physically get to see our coworkers. We are all working remote from home in Mm -hmm. different countries all around the world. And it can be the case that we go a whole year without meeting any of our colleagues. And particularly so in the pandemic, it became very challenging to see the people we were working with. Um, This past summer in 2023, we were lucky enough to have um, a global meeting in Istanbul where we brought together the the paid staff at JLI, the staff and the team, um, but also our board and our leadership council members as well. So the leadership council are the heads of the organizations who are members of JLI. And it was wonderful. It was the first time I'd had, I think ever in my You know, however many years, eight years of being with JLI, where I'd been able to be with effectively what looked like the network of JLI, um, to be with not just a hub and to be not just online, but to be in person with, you know, really wonderful individuals who work in religions and development and research and practice all over the world, who all shared this vision of what JLI was trying to achieve and being in one place. Um, I actually remember the first time we interacted, Maurice, was when we were where we were, I think, at this restaurant near um, the Blue Mosque, and Mm -hmm. the light was falling just so beautifully. So all the staff decided they wanted a picture. And I think you were (laughs) the one responsible for taking some of our pictures (laughs) in that kind of golden sunset light. But it was just a very beautiful memory. And I think Mm. the heart of what JLI does is trying to create relationships. That's what any network tries to do. And I think, There's so much that you can do virtually, but there's no replacement for what can happen in person, Mm -hmm. Um, the way you can build those human connections. And I think that was, I know it's not one anecdote, but it was just a very happy memory Mm -hmm. for my time at JLI to be able to connect in person with people um, and and to build those relationships was just wonderful, especially in a place like Istanbul, which I think is so symbolic of global connection Mm. and, and historical connection for different faiths as well. Yeah. it was a very special memory
1: mm. and talking about you know colleagues and partners if if i ask you to name one mm-hmm. colleague or partner or supporter of of jli who embodies what jli is about who, who would you name
0: why, asking... And I
1: totally acknowledge that, you know, you would probably say, yeah, I can't pick one, but <laughs> I'm asking you to pick one. Yeah. You're
0: asking me to play favorites, Maurice. So you're <laughs> going to get me in big trouble. I'll have to resign and leave the country. Um, no, this was another very difficult mm. question. And I think so many people can embody JLI in different ways because JLI mm. is so many different things. Um, but I suppose the one colleague who does spring to mind at the moment is Uh, a colleague of ours based in Zambia, who's currently leading the effort of our Mm. Southern Africa hub on GBV. And that's Reverend Mary Muiche. So Reverend Mary Mm -hmm. Muiche is um, an ordained uh, reverend for the United Church of Zambia. And what I love about her, and why I think she embodies JLI so beautifully, is because she's someone who is a faith leader herself. Her day job is being a reverend and Mm ministering her congregation. Um, she's a theologian, um, but she's also a, an academic. She's someone who engages in research, but she's also a practitioner. She works for Speak One Voice International, which is uh, an organization that supports survivors of GBV. Mm-hmm. And she does that as well. Um, I don't know how she fits everything into 24 hours of the day, but she does somehow. Um, but she really embodies that kind of intersection of JLI's work of of religion, research and practice um and i've seen that it's been such a privilege to kind of work with her on the southern africa hub and see how she brings those kind of rich experiences that she has in all three areas to create a hub that can you know really bridge those different spaces um and i'm learning so much from her i mean i i consider her a mentor and i i'm i'm so um constantly amazed and inspired by the work that they're doing in Southern Africa and the work that they've been doing to, to consult with communities about how to create um, locally led research on religion and GBV and how to create change and local religious institutions to support survivors of GBV and prevent GBV from happening um, in those spaces as well. So yes, yeah, she, would, she would absolutely be my, my person I choose. And I think more than just the experience she has working in those three traditions I think it's her passion mm. um which shines through and and how she gives so much of herself to serve her community to create meaningful change is just very um inspiring to bear witness to and to learn from as well
1: mm. awesome and you know the way you talk about her you know it makes me wanting to um have her as a as a guest on this podcast as well so we will try to do so, um, Asali. You know that I'm. I'm really often talking about the sustainable development goals because I I know it's not perfect, but at least as a world, we kind of identify these goals to make this world more sustainable. Mm-hmm. And and thinking about uh, really the future, about you know the next generations, with an S. Um, if we look at at where we are. Um, And we have a long way to go. We are, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So there is a lot to worry about. Um, and, and from my point of view, it seems that the mission of, of JLI is more important than ever. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. How how do you see that, you know, the role of JLI within this?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a really important conversation. I think sometimes, you know, JLI's work is, is a very kind of niche field. Um, specifically looking at religions and development and specifically looking at research. And I think sometimes we can get lost in the weeds of that niche and and forget to look at the bigger picture. But I think that bigger picture perspective is so important to understand why we're doing what we're doing. And I do think that there is a real, although there's been so much progress in the international development sector towards understanding religion, I still think there's a real underestimation of the importance of religion and faith in local communities, particularly in the communities where change needs to happen or change needs to be supported, where there are challenges around, um, you know, uh, marginalization or poverty or lack of resources, etc. Where there does need to be a shift in resources and global justice towards restitution, etc. I think more than ever. I think the role of JLI in bridging that gap, um, in addressing the lack of understanding around religion, and the complex role that religion and faith actors can play as well. It's nuanced. It's not all um, roses and 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 benefit. It's it's complicated. Mm. But I think JLI plays a very unique role in in really laying bare the complexities of that relationship, um, in bridging that gap between the international secular space and the local faith space. Um, and and building those networks and building those relationships. I think specifically the role that the work that we're trying to do now in in supporting locally led research is also so important. Mm. Um, Practice and programming and policy should be based on evidence and evidence should be based on realities. Um, That's what good evidence is and what good evidence should be. It should not be based on the agendas of donors and the priorities of donors, especially if those agendas and priorities don't have bearing with local communities. And What we're trying to do is support evidence that actually reflects the priorities and needs of local communities and allows local communities or supports local communities to tell their own story, um, to lead their own narrative and to identify their own needs and to communicate that. I mean, our role is really just to facilitate and support something that should be happening anyway and is happening, but often isn't amplified. And I and my hope is that through creating and supporting this locally led evidence, it can lead to impactful change that is actually sustainable. um, And not just, you know, uh, only exists for as long as the donors fund it, but something that creates, you know, long term change and necessary change and, and desire to change for local communities. It's not something imposed externally, but something um, that grows internally and organically from local communities and what they want. Um, that's really where I see JLI's role, and and I hope that we can continue to play a role in making that happen.
1: Thank you so much, Sadia, for today. I mean, these conversations always go fast. What do you hope that this podcast episode might do for JLI?
0: Well, I hope it might share some of the work that we're trying to do at JLI. Mm. I think um, we have not been very good always at communicating who we are, um, mm. We share a lot of our work, but I think what sometimes gets lost is the people and the stories and the relationships that go behind the work. Um, And I'm happy to see a podcast like this, which can hopefully share some of that, um, that what happens behind the scenes at JLI, um, the people who are making JLI work, the relationships that really fuel JLI's mission um, is what I'm hoping. I'm hoping it will help continue to spark conversations about what does it mean to be fair and equitable In research spaces, in development and humanitarian spaces, but also in the religion space as well. Um, I hope it will bring people to engage with JLI further, Mm. to engage with our regional hubs, to engage with our research, to advise us on how we can improve our work, because we're always looking to improve and how we can amplify the work of local faith communities um, working for religions, development, peace building, and humanitarian work.
1: Mm. And we will make sure that. Um, you know, the, the social media uh, handles, the email addresses, you know, will be shared in the podcast notes. Mm-hmm. Um, any question that I should have asked you today that I didn't?
0: Uh, no, I don't think so. I think your com- questions were very comprehensive. I definitely wasn't expecting to go into my Spotify playlist. <laughs> um, so it's as comprehensive as I could hope for. Um but no, I mean, was there anything else you wanted me to share or talk about?
1: no, I, I think um I mean, I, I could continue our conversation for another hour, but yeah, research research has shown that most people can't ha- handle a, a podcast longer than an hour, right? So yeah. even fifty minutes is um, like our conversation is is uh, pushing it a bit. so so, thank you so much for sharing your experiences, you know, your opinion, um, uh, for everything you do uh for JLI um and the greater world. So uh, yeah, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Maurice, and thank you for the work you do as well. Um not just for JLI, where I know you're having to give us <laughs> so much of your time amidst also doing a full time job, but for the work of this podcast as well and having these conversations and hosting these conversations, which is so important. Thank you.
1: No, thank you. It's a lot of fun to do. To do. So. As we wrap up today's insightful conversation, I hope it has sparked your curiosity and interest in the vital work of the Joint Learning Initiative on Faith and Local Communities, JLI. If today's episode has resonated with you, whether it's the desire to collaborate, contribute or even offer financial support to further JLI's impactful mission, we'd love to hear more from you. The JLI's journey is one of collaboration, learning and making a tangible difference in communities through the unique intersection of faith and development. Your involvement could be a significant part of this transformative process. Whether you're looking to offer your expertise, resources, or are seeking to understand more about how you can contribute, your initiative is invaluable. Please feel free to reach out to us, send an email to maurice at jliflc.com or contact us through our platform. We welcome your thoughts, questions and proposals for collaboration. I'll personally ensure that your interest is directed to the right people at JLI, helping you connect with a network of individuals and organizations dedicated to creating a better world through faith informed development. Thank you for joining us on Walk Talk Listen, where each conversation brings us closer to understanding and action. Your engagement doesn't just end with listening, it begins here. Let's continue to be part of this remarkable journey together. Thank you. Thank you for listening to walk, talk, listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.